simulcast. They just rung true, and I'm pursuing it today, so I'm glad it was said. said that sometimes we don't need more instruction or teaching. We just need a good reminder. So I'm going to bring some reminders to you today. And I'll let you know ahead of time that during the month of February, and actually starting next weekend, preach a series of messages on decision-making and uh, help you make some godly decisions in your lives. And uh, hopefully we can help in that regard and give you some uh, truth and some things that will help you know how to determine them, focus in on the will of God for your life and in uh, various sections of your life. And uh, today I want to take us down memory lane a little bit for some of us and uh, others. It may be a new walk, and so we invite you to come along with us for the walk. I want to talk about what is our mission I wrote a statement that says this, Big Bear Christian Center is a non-denominational, cell-based Christian church that exists to preach the gospel to the unsaved, disciple the saved, and equip each believer to fulfill the Great Commission. And I think it will come up there in a minute. And uh, I wrote it a couple different ways, so I hope what I just read and what's on the wall are the same. But uh, you know me and PowerPoints, they're not my expertise. Big Bear Christian Center is a non-denominational, cell-based Christian church that exists to preach the gospel to the unsaved, (coughs) disciple the saved, and equip each believer to fulfill the Great Commission. You ever worked real hard at your job for a long time and then popped your head up one day and say, what is it I'm actually doing? What, especially if you have a kind of a rote job, you know, you're making widgets all the time or something. It's the same thing. You just, you know, your job's like those guys that make cars and all they do is go, zoop, 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 zoop. the next car rolls up and goes, zoop, 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 zoop. and, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, you could kind of wonder what it is you're doing. What is it? You know, you might be part of a bigger picture, but your nose is down as uh, like what Pastor Floyd says, you're, uh, let's see if I can get it right, you're. Your uh, shoulders to the wheel, your nose is to the grindstone, and your ears to the ground. And it's a really tough position to work in. <laughs> Did I get that close? <laughs> moderate, moderate. He said it once, and I thought, that is so funny. But we can get so closely focused at what we do, just boom, 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 boom. We do the same thing, same thing, same thing. We ought to look up every now and then and see where we're going. Have you ever ridden a public bus? And you stand on the... If it's been in the city, now up here it, it works too, but uh, if you're in the city where there's lots of buses and lots of routes and you go to a bus stop, what is it you're looking for? Maybe you're at the airport waiting to get out of there. Your car's in long-term parking out in Lot C at LAX. And there's buses and things coming all the time and you're out on that curb. What are you looking for? You're looking for a bus that's got a little sign on the front that says Lot C. Otherwise, you could end up somewhere you don't want to be. It's the same thing. Every now and then, we ought to pull the bus over, put the sign up on the front, say, this is where we're going. Hop on. The surprising part is, sometimes we declare where we're going, some get off. It's happened. And that's okay, because if this isn't your bus, you don't want to be on it. But this church exists. We are Big Bear Christian Center. We have a specific call. We have a specific mission. We're not here, you know, to run aerobics classes or, or, or gyms. That's somebody else's job. Amen? <laughs> or build houses or 
You know, there's a myriad of things to do in life, but that we're here for this purpose, and this is our mission. We are a non-denominational. That means we embrace a lot of stuff. People from all kinds of backgrounds are here. I used to joke and laugh at the onset of the church. I'd say, how many of you used to be Catholics? Let's do it this morning. Let's just see if, how it works out today. Oh, not as many. Yeah, it used to be like 75% of the church was coming out of the Catholic church. And then I'd say, I was raised Jehovah Witness. Boy, talk about oil and water. I mean, I used to tell people, if you don't want the Jehovah Witness coming to your door, tell them you're Catholic. Just open the door and say, I'm Catholic. And they go, forget it. I mean, it just doesn't work. Because they're both set in their ways. But I used to think it was humorous that <clears throat> the bus was loaded with Catholics led by a Jehovah Witness. <laughs> but being a non-denominational church, that just means we, get, we, we embrace people that are coming out of whatever they're coming out of to, to love Jesus. And we're going to do it together. So we're non-denominational. We're cell-based. And we're going to talk more about that in a few minutes. We're Christian. I thought I ought to put that in there. Because you can be a lot of different kinds of churches. But this is a Christian church. That means we embrace some basic biblical doctrines that point to Jesus and the reason He came and the reason He died and the reason He overcame the grave for us and that eternal life is ours once we put our faith and trust in Him. Plus a broad spectrum of other basic doctrines. But we're Christians. And why are we here? It's not a club. It's not a country club. You know, this is the salt shaker. And our job is to get the salt out of the shaker. Amen? Every week, it's our call to go into the community and be salt and light. When we have our cells, we call them lighthouses. And they should take on a, a particular view for us that that lighthouse is out in the community doing what it does to radiate the beam of truth of Jesus Christ to give people direction for their lives. And some people are just going to sail by and see it and get some direction and keep going on to their destination. Others who are shipwrecked, or we're going to help fish out of the water and bring them into the lighthouse, get them dried off and warmed, and help them be saved. The parallels are there. Amen? The illustration's a good one. We're to preach the gospel to the unsaved. And I've, I really would like, and I don't know, did, does it say unsaved up here? Oh, good. Because in my mind, I think of Isaiah 61 and, and Jesus reading in the temple. And he said, uh, you know, I've come to preach the gospel to the poor. And that doesn't just mean those that don't have any finances or don't have any. It does mean that also in the Greek. But it means those that have less or that actually have a constant need for somebody to attend to them. Because they're desperate in some condition in their life. They're, they're, they're always looking for help of some kind. And those who don't know Christ yet are desperately in that condition, whether they have everything in this world or not, whether they have fame or societal status or leadership or ownership of businesses or whatever. There are a lot of people without Christ. We can call them the poor, the unsaved, as we were praying a few minutes ago. We can call them the lost. Somebody told me they don't like to be called lost. Let's call them searchers. They're searching. Once they come to Christ, we're here to disciple them. To become a mathetes in the Greek, a disciple. One who has a, a consistent application of the teaching and the following of Jesus Christ. One who takes the teachings of Christ and aligns their life with them and allows Jesus to live inside so that he lives out through and that they become little Christs 
Christians. That we are, are called to disciple one another to be like Christ. And once discipled, then we are to equip the believer so that they can fulfill the Great Commission, which is found in Matthew chapter 28, 18 to 20. Okay, that's who we are. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> we put these banners up last night during the celebration, and I was going to go to the extra effort of taking them down and making us put them up again this morning, but the tacks are too big to slide them off the holes. So we left them. We're going to preach down the wall today. Is that all right? Prayer. Jesus taught us to pray. Matthew chapter 6, he said, when you pray, pray this way. And you've heard it. You can repeat it. I was surprised to see it, that how many people could repeat it on the National Mall during the inauguration. When Rick Warren, bless his heart, said, and he taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Stop. That's a Del Tackett thing. And I know, Hannah, every week is your favorite one in the Truth Project. How did Jesus teach us to pray? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you say this after me? Prayer is the first work. Prayer is the first work. Let's say it again. Prayer is the first work. We're, we're a little bit short on wisdom when we try and do it any other way and every other way until finally at some desperate moment we say, maybe we should pray. And the other person says, oh my goodness, has it come to that? It's sort of the Hail Mary pass. At the Super Bowl next weekend. Has it come to that? Some final desperate attempt to score with God. We really need to move it up. I'm sorry. If you're linear, yours is on this side. Left to right. We need to move it up to where prayer is the first work. Nothing is accomplished in the kingdom of God or by the Spirit of God unless prayer is offered. Prayer has to be offered first. Jesus, before he left in Luke chapter 24, 49, said, Go and tarry in Jerusalem until I send the promise of my Father upon you. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said, You will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you'll be my witnesses. Jerusalem. Amen? Judea. I've got it all mixed up in my head. All over the place. That was really bad. That was really bad. I'm going to go back to Bible college. Go wait until you be clothed upon with the power of the Holy Spirit. They went. They prayed. They tarried. They stayed before God. They said, we can't go out and do what God wants us to do until He empowers us. We cannot ever get much done unless He empowers us. And He's given us the ability to receive Him into our life and to be infilled by the Spirit of God and be possessed by God and to be that glove in which the hand, Jesus, comes in and moves us around and uses us all through our community and our homes, our businesses, in our schools, in our churches. But we have to tarry. That tarrying, they were waiting upon God. Now, Terry doesn't mean sit around like at the bus stop, sort of waiting for something to happen. 
It means to look with expectancy and to be constantly involved in the process of watching and waiting until what you know is coming actually comes. And did it come? Acts chapter 2, powerful. Outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We call it the birthing of the first church. And it was spirit-filled. And Peter steps up to the plate and the impetuous one becomes the first one to preach a Holy Ghost-filled sermon. 3,000 people saved and baptized in one day. That's proof positive that God is on the throne and living in His church. We read earlier from Acts chapter 4 where there were times after, where there were prayer times for specific thrusts of ministry. Jesus said, I think of the word thrust, I think when Jesus said, pray the Lord of the harvest that He'll send laborers into the harvest. This word send actually means thrust. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that He'll thrust workers into His harvest field. Here in Acts chapter 4, they've been beaten. They came back, they shared what happened, and they said, well, we're not going to stop because they're beating people. Let's pray that God will fill us with the Holy Ghost in boldness so that we can preach with power. Let's preach with signs and wonders that are undeniable about His presence and His ministry among us. And then let's let's get out there. Let's, and they all lifted their voice together and said, God, give us a thrust of ministry. Amen. And the place shook. I know we're not enjoying those moments. In Big Bear, when things shake. But when God shakes the place, it doesn't hurt anybody. It fills them with the Holy Ghost and power. And then they went out and preached with boldness. Prayer, the first work. Ephesians chapter 6, we're taught that to put on the full armor of God. Right? And all the pieces in place, the helmet, the breastplate, the... All this, the shin guards and everything, and the sword and the shield. And then in verse 18 it says, praying with all types of prayer. Praying always with all prayer and supplication. There's lots of words in the Bible for prayer. Supplication, prayer, intercession, petition. And we could go for a while. But the thing is, you got all the armor on, and what really makes it happen, prayer becomes the weapon. All the other stuff's kind of defensive. The Word of God and prayer become our offensive position in doing battle for the kingdom of God. Jesus said, quoting out of Isaiah 56, 7, Jesus said, My house will be called House of Prayer. House of Prayer. I thought it was Linton that gave me these facts, but <clears throat> and I just tried to confirm that with him while we were praying. So if you're the one, would you please stand up after I quote you? Otherwise, we'll have to leave it anonymous. But I do know that the reason I went to Clinton, because whoever told, Linton, whoever told me this was credible and knowledgeable, and I think of Linton as credible and knowledgeable. But I've only got my sources mixed up, that there was a study done on how much time during a regular hour and a half service in America, is spent actually praying. You ever gone to a prayer breakfast? And you will go, go home wondering, how much did they pray? You know, it's kind of a name, a title, really, for those breakfasts. And <clears throat> but there are specific prayers that are prayed at a prayer breakfast, and that's a, that's a reason for that. But... So they, they said, well, let's reduce the study. Let's not study everybody. Let's go after the church or the denomination that prays the most. And let's study them. So they found the denomination that is most known for actively praying in their services. Anybody want to guess? 
the denomination. Come on, let's have some fun. Go ahead, hurt yourself. Catholics, wrong. Pentecostals, okay, we're getting closer. No, it wasn't the Baptists. Pentecostals, close, you're getting warmer. We've got to get a denomination like the Assembly of God. She got it right over here. Thank you very much. Let's give the Assembly of God a hand. Amen. For being a praying church. Now, here's the results of the study. In the average hour and a half service in the Assemblies of God Church in America, three minutes is spent in prayer. Come on, we're not even in the study, guys. Don't be, don't be poking the hand out there too quick. Well, those guys, hey, they're the most praying. Does it shock you? That's why I brought it up. To shock us. Three minutes. And I suppose if you were to evaluate sometimes our services, you might find us deficient. Hence, the change this morning. Did you enjoy praying together? I mean, is it prayer, worship? Prayer is worship. We come together and we pray. We gather and we pray in, in agreement in His name. I appreciated your praying this morning. And I believe it was offered as a sweet-smelling incense to God. It's that revelation picture of the smoke coming up before God. He loves, he loves to answer prayer. Amen. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. We see in the New Testament, of course, Jesus being the example. Luke chapter 6, verses 12 to 16 where he spent all night in prayer before he came down, met with his disciples, and there were a lot of them, but he moved through the lot of them and came out with 12 that he called to be apostles. Jesus, before he chose the 12, that he would spend nearly 51% of his recorded time with in the New Testament, more than half of his public ministry, 51% with his disciples, 49% with public ministry. He spent the whole night in prayer before he chose them. And he even chose Judas. Specifically, he didn't miss in choosing. How many times have you had to make really important decisions? This will come up in February, I'm sure. Where you said, I'm going to spend the whole night in prayer. I'm going to have the mind. When I get up in the morning, I am going to have the mind of Christ. Hallelujah. Prayer is the first work. Say it again. Prayer is the first word. Fasting. Oh, did he say that? (laughs) I used to fast and pray. And when I did it in that order, and this is just my own view, because the Bible does say prayer and fasting. But my view is, and it does say fasting and prayer. When I used to fast and pray, it was usually go hungry and complain. You know, you start the fast just by not eating. And then you'd get grumbly and irritable. You get a caffeine headache or something. And, you know, you make your way into day two and you don't really want to get up. You'd rather sleep half of it so you didn't know you weren't eating. (laughs) So you have all these angles you work. And about day three, you're miserable. And you look back and you go, did I pray? And no, he just went hungry. I've had so many of those kind of fasts that on day two, I just go eat. I go, this is crazy. I'm just going hungry. And that's no fun for me or anybody around me. But when you have prayer going, and prayer is first work, and prayer is lifestyle, and prayer is the breath of the church, corporately and in cells and uh, individually 
And then God says, now fast, man, you just merge it in. It's not hard. Yes, it's hard on the flesh, of course. But it's not go hungry, complain. It's pray and fast. It's prayer with fasting. And there's this breakthrough that can come in the spirit because we've denied the flesh. Prayer is the first work. Fasting and praying. Jesus, when he went to defeat Satan head to head, fasted for 40 days and nights. And then defeated him on every point. For you. And then when he took it to the cross, he defeated him and stripped him openly of all his power. And handed it to you. What a privilege. Fasting with prayer. Prayer with fasting. Jesus came upon one scene. Matthew 17. Little boy tormented by a demon. Dad says, you know, I asked your disciples to cast out this demon. They couldn't do it. Can you help me? Jesus casts out the demon. Later, the other guys asked, Jesus, how come we couldn't do that? He said, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. Prayer. We're going to focus here in 2009. This is where the bus is going. If you're on the stop and you're looking out, look for prayer. 2009. More nights like last Saturday, a week ago Saturday, when we gathered together to pray. More prayer in cells. More personal devotion and ability to pray successfully. More equipping, more training, more encouragement on prayer. And I give you three points for this section. One, we're going to teach, practice, example, and gather for prayer in 2009. Yeah. I think we'll have more times of prayer in our worship services together. Number two, we'll, we will declare our dependency on God and place hope in no other source of help. We, we run into difficult times. We're not going to run to ourselves for answers. We're going to run to Jesus. We're going to pray. We're going to leave our dependency there. God, if you don't, we don't need to. If you won't, we won't. And then kind of like Moses in desperation, God, I'll lead them, but if you don't go with us, I don't want to go. God said, I'll go with you. And then we're on our way then, aren't we? Number three, I believe we're going to see our community prayed over in multiple methods again. And this has been done numerous times, and we stand on some pretty broad and strong shoulders of those who have gone before us in prayer over this community. There's a calling on this community. There's a purpose for this city, for this valley. It does not only exist for people to come here and get in your way on traffic days. <laughs> Amen. Those people are coming here for a reason, and they don't even know what it is. But this community has a purpose. It has a calling. It was destined by God. It was set apart for Him. And over the years, much prayer and intercession and prophetic offering has come up on this place. There's been salt poured over the dam. There's been stakes driven in the ground. There have been Bibles buried in places. There's been prayer on the front porches of, of community buildings and schools and hospitals and in, in City Hall and at district meetings. There's been all kinds of things done. Prayer walking. There are the ladies. Remember one of the days you got in the cars and piled on the worship music and turned it up and drove out to the Onyx Summit and the little hill over to Lucerne and down to the dam and said, we're just going to pray over the portals. I think we even sent somebody to the airport so nobody could sneak in. 
said, these are the portals, these are the gateways, these are the places where people come. This demanded right here a line be drawn, and when they come, the enemies peel off. And they're loosed in Jesus' name to hear and see Jesus Christ. I believe we're going to see prayer walks. I think we're going to just loose ourselves and to know, to know that wherever we go, we can prayer walk. This is uh, back, I always think of my meter reader days, where once a month, I got to prayer walk everybody's houses. And I mean all of them. Amen? I walked in every yard once a month. Every month. I wasn't always praying. But I did remember the scripture says, wherever the sole of your foot will tread, I'll give it to you. And I began to claim, and not just me, there have been plenty of others, but when you have a route, you know, you put it to work. Any of you that have route work or you drive out to the end to the job you're on and to the other side, just start claiming everything in the middle. For Jesus. You are his people. You carry his authority. You carry his glory. You carry his name. You carry all these things with you wherever you go. When you're shopping, hey, be happy in there. Put the joy of the Lord on your face. Sing while you're in the aisles. Let them think you're crazy. It doesn't matter. Bug the guys that are behind the secret glass panels looking at crazy shoppers. Give them something to do up there. Amen. They're looking for shoplifters and all they see is your teeth. Hear you singing in there. Bring the glory of God with you when you go. Wherever you go. And let's pray over our community. Number two, cells. Lighthouses. Lighthouses are groups of 3 to 15 people who meet weekly outside the church building for the purposes of evangelism, community, maturity, and multiplication. We're a cell-based church. We do business by cells. We believe the cell is the church. We believe that the church can happen in the cell. We believe that the cells are for the same very purpose of providing a witness for Jesus in every home and in every business every day. I believe that is a, a resounding sentence in my heart and my mind that God has called us to bring a witness for Jesus into every home and every business every day and we know that we can't do it by ourselves. And I'm not just saying with the help of God we can't do it without His help at all. That's why prayer is the first work. But we are not going to do it alone. There are lots of other communities of believers in this valley that are, have the same focus. Not like ours with a cell-based structure, but theirs is to win the loss for Jesus too. Amen? Amen. I, I uh, invite you guys, this, right below the annual meeting announcement in the bulletin, there's an invitation to you guys if you want to go to the men's breakfast at the First Baptist Church on February the 7th. I get to be the guest speaker. And I, was, I spoke there last week, or last month, at the men's breakfast. And uh, when I got done, uh, Pastor Bud Davis, who many of you know, he's not the senior pastor there, but has been the interim pastor over a number of years, who kind of herds that thing up, said, Hey, Jeff, is there a part two to your message? And I said, I'm a preacher. Are you kidding? <laughs> so there's part two. He said, well, would you come back next, week, next month and give us part two? I said, okay, I will. He said, well, bring some of your guys with you. So February 7th, 7.30, Baptist Church. You've got to tell us you're coming so we can make enough food. That's what they told me. But why did they want me to come back? Because in part one, I shared the story of how I got saved at Jack in the Box in March, backslid through April, and rededicated my life to Jesus once and for all at the altar of First Baptist Church. And they were delighted to hear that. Hey, we finally got one that came out all right. He got messed up with that Holy Ghost stuff, but 
He's still saved, we think. You know, other churches in our community, we're going to work together as the body of Christ to see our community have a witness for Jesus in every home and every business every day. We want to make Jesus inescapable in Big Bear. Amen. You know, the word witness in the Greek in the New Testament means martyr. In other words, a martyr is a person who is willing to die for what they believe is truth. They're called on the witness stand to testify for Jesus, and they're willing to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, hand on the Bible. So help me God, and if it costs me my life, it's worth dying for. That's a witness. Now, can you imagine six-year-olds and seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds, in little cells whose parents are unsaved. And we send a witness for Jesus into every business, in every home, every day. They need a living person. They don't just need a printed track or somebody knocking on the door dropping off news. They don't just need a radio broadcast. All those are witnesses for Jesus, but they need a living martyr type believer to come across their path every day. Make Jesus inescapable from Big Bear. This is what I call our local mission. And if the, if the uh, screen were up, there'd be a cross there. And it's real easy to see the cross as uh, local missions being the vertical post and what we'd call translocal, everything outside of us. And that makes a complete cross. Local missions, translocal missions. Cells for us is our local mission. In this, I give you three points. We provide equipping and training, a place to belong, and to begin growing and serving simultaneously. That means you can get saved, you can get baptized, you can become part of the Lighthouse uh, family. You'll have connections, pastoral care, a place to give ministry. You can, and we're going to help equip you through cells. Number two, we will disciple ourselves and others in the Lighthouses. And equip each one to influence their oikos and beyond. Oikos is a Greek word that means family or household. can even relate to business. It's, we use it to designate those 10 to 15 people that you most touch every week. You'll say, who's my oikos? Who's my family? Who's my business sector? Who are those that I spend time with? Those are your oikos. Those are the people you touch regularly. And there's usually about 10 to 15 And everybody has an oikos. And if we can equip you and uh, train you, according to Ephesians chapter 4, 11 to 17 in that passage, if we can help you uh, be discipled and to be equipped, then you're going to influence your oikos. And that's how we penetrate a community. I'm coming up on being 25 years pastor of this church on Easter. And, And I can tell you that over 25 years of pastoring, um, good to see a full house here this morning, but you know, they still don't line up to get in here. I know lots of people through this community that, that congratulate me for being a pastor. Hey, you're the pastor. You're the guy out there. You, you, you that one way out there. Yeah, that's us. I drive by there every day. What's the name of that place? Well, that's like a knife to the heart. I drive by there every day. What's the name of that place? I gotta get a bigger sign. But in 25 years, they, don't, they have not lined up to come in here. Nor have they lined up to get into all the other churches. How do we penetrate? Through oikos. 
by me getting saved and immediately turning to that's 10 or 15 people who are closest to me in proximity and family and work and share with them what happened. And then we'll enter that oikos. And then when one of those 10 or 15 gets saved or half of them get saved, we move into their oikos. And we just continually multiply cells until we reach into every strata of this community. Everybody needs Jesus. And number three is that. We will multiply lighthouse keepers into every strata of our community. And when I say that, here's what's in my mind. And I'll I'll use, well, I won't use the name because it's being recorded. No one will embarrass them. But you know people in this community that seem to have everything. I mean, you know, their name's mailed to you in the mailbox. They got name recognition throughout the community. They're a big business owner. And you know their house is overhanging on the lake somewhere. And, you know, they just got it all. They don't have Jesus. And I've often asked the question, why would somebody like that ever come to this building for church? They may never. It might seem to be below them to be into a little box like this and be confined with a bunch of people they don't know. Amen? You thought I was going to say a bunch of something else, I think. (laughs) Somebody ended the sentence for me and I didn't say that though. But that would make them nervous. And uh, But what about church in their living room? What about multiplying a cell leader who knows them and is in there? Somebody in your cell has that person in their oikos. And, and they say, man, I'm ready. I'm equipped. I'm gonna go. Who are you going to get? Who's in your oikos? Who are you going to reach out to? This person. You go, man, that person would never come to church. And that's so true. They don't come here. 25 years, I got it down. They don't come here. We go to them. Jesus didn't say come. He said Go and make disciples. And so we'll do it through multiplying lighthouse keepers into every strata of our community. Three, missions. For me, it's number three. One, two, three. Kind of linear, amen? Prayer sells missions. Matthew 24, 14 says this, This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. In the situation we're in, even now in the United States, with all the change, you know, it's being recognized all over the world. I saw a picture last night of a sand sculpture on the beach in India. I don't know if that does anything for you, but I think India is a long ways from here. And somebody in India went to the time to go out to the beach and build one of those big sand sculptures. It was a picture of the Capitol building in sand, pretty large, and with a wall around the front of it, like the inauguration, and a big Obama looking like Uncle Sam. You know, with the hat and the stripes, and his arms out like this, really big. And then the plaque they put in front, in the sand, said, change has happened. And listen, change is embracing the world. Not just because of what we've done in the last week here in America, but... Would you say, say, if somebody said, when's Jesus coming back? Would you be leaning into, seems like pretty soon? Yes. <laughs> Look at that, you agree so quick. It's like, you're hopeful is what it is. <laughs> please let it be soon. Every generation, please, today, Jesus would be good. And uh, there's, some, I suppose, some theology that could go with that. But um, when people, This is personal. Based on this verse. 
This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, all the ethnos, all the people groups. And then the end will come. Somebody said, when's Jesus? How soon will Jesus be here? I say, we're about four billion away. Six and a half billion people on the planet. And only one third of them will testify that they know Jesus. The other two thirds are still waiting. In fact, those who print Bibles and like Wycliffe Bible translators who get it into people's language will tell us we're maybe 1,500 to 2,000 language groups away from getting the job done. You know, I hear that. What I want to say is, okay, you're all just been recruited. You're all going to be Wycliffe Bible translators. We're going to get on this thing. Because if that's what we're waiting for, then let's get that job done. But I'm just giving you a view that says, I'm not trying to give you a real solid theological position here. I'm just saying that for me, I'd love for Jesus to come back tomorrow, with the exception of all those people we were just praying for a few minutes ago. Let's, could you wait one more day until they get saved? God, could you put a fire under me so I quit thinking about talking to him and actually talk to him? We just thrust laborers into those harvest fields we were praying for, then rapidly enhance his return. But the mission is that the gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached in all the world. That's our translocal mission. Three points here. We will cooperate in the Great Commission. By giving, sending, and praying for those with whom we partner. We're going to give of our finances. We're going to send some of our own. We've got a young man down here heading for Costa Rica. Another young lady back there has been on two mission trips before she even got out of high school. Some of us in our cells. Let me put this seed in your mind. A cell, one of your lighthouses, one of these weeks you're going to be praying and God's going to break your heart for some place that needs help with the gospel. For whatever reason, maybe they just need houses rebuilt because they just got their whole city washed out by a monsoon or something. Maybe you're going to go, you know, to where the tsunami victims are or something. Is this something breaks your heart as a group and you begin to pray? And then somebody in your group's going to say, why don't we go there? Hey, a whole cell group, go to the mission field. I'm just looking to see if I get any response here. Some people say, some people are going, yeah, that cell would be a good one. Yeah, those guys, I think those guys are candidates. And I'd love that. I think that would be so awesome. I sometimes think of going back to Guatemala, you know. And there's lots of work to be done. Lots of things that could happen. Mexico's still down there. Africa's alive and active. A whole cell could go on a mission together. So we'll give, we'll send, and those that we partner with, we're going to be praying for. I intend to find a way to get the people we're partnering with in missions up on the walls around here somewhere so you'll know who we're praying for, how to pray for them, and updates from their, their ministries on our website, and things like that so that we can be focused on this number one work. Number two, we will give a minimum of 10% of our general income, that is our tithes and offerings, to missions, which are involved in accomplishing Matthew 24, 14, and Matthew 28, 18 to 20, going to all the world and make disciples. The church here, and this will be, you know, all this stuff is going to be available on the website, so you can go and 
print it out later, probably first of the week. Um, we have consistently given 10% of our general income here at the church to missions and uh, help support all kinds of things. And we'll talk about that at the annual meeting tomorrow night a little bit. <clears throat> but we are still committed to that. There was a time when I think we were a little smaller than we are now that we gave 20%. And that was cool. I'd like to get back to those days, but we don't want to go below 10 those of you that were in the financial simulcast yesterday heard, you know, 10% is always kind of the minimum reach. It's the goal, but don't stop there. You don't want to stop there. If God owns it all, you want to find a way to get beyond that. 10 ought to be like the low benchmark. And if you're at 2 and you're working to 10, 10 looks like a big benchmark. But when you get there, keep the momentum and keep right on going and let God use you to the max in being a steward over what He's given you to put in your hands. But the church as a, as a body here at Christian Center, will we're committed to 10%. And number three, in missions, we want to equip every believer to become a missionary. Did I, did I get that up there? Right? See how I spell missionary? There's a little asterisk because in my notes it says this. And uh, some of us play word games a little bit. Airy. It's a suffix, isn't it? What is the suffix? What does this suffix mean? What did you learn in school? Airy. If you add airy on the end of a word, it means, oh, I'm sorry, you guys grew up in California? (laughs) It means of or related to, person belonging to, connected with, or engaged in. A person belonging to, connected with, or engaged in. So we want to equip each believer to become a mission airy. Not just the kind that pack all their stuff and move to another nation or something. I want you to be mission minded. I want you to have this mission in your heart. I want you to be personally belonging to it. Have it be something you're connected with and engaged in. And I believe that each of these three, prayer, cells, and missions, can occur in the lighthouses. Because the cell is the church. And cells, I'm looking, still looking for the day when we as a cell-based church gather in, in the last banner down there says celebration. We call our services celebrations. And if you were to go to another church, our services don't look that much different from any other church service. But I look for the day when they become celebration in this definition. Joel Comiskey says, Celebration is truest, which is a difficult word to say. Celebration is truest when cells gather to give God glory for what he's doing in the cells. In other words, the cell is the church. We're cell-based. We plan to invade every strata of our community with cells. And there's going to be church going on in different houses and businesses and back rooms and places all over our community. And that will be the church meeting and then we call, let's gather the cells. And we have a celebration. We want to put two L's in it. Let's have a celebration. And when we get together, we're going to begin to praise and worship and pray and intercede and give God glory. We're going to hear testimonies. What's going on in that cell? What's going on in that district? What's happening out there in that group of people? Who's just penetrated a new strata? Who got saved? Who got baptized? We're going to celebrate together what's going on in the cells and gain momentum and motivation and anointing together to go back into being the church in the cell. 
Some say it's like a two-winged bird. Cell, celebration. Small group gathering, large group worship service. If you only have one wing, you just fly in circles. Huh? You get both wings going, and the church will thrive. And the New Testament said they met daily in the temple courts and from house to house. Paul, writing his letter, said, Greet the church. Greet the, like Aquila and Priscilla and say hi to the church that meets in their house. Greet Lydia and the church that meets in her house. The house church is where it all started. And it's the real, I believe, being cell-based is the method for us to reach our community. Because they don't come, we got to go. All right? So, as far as I know, I'm still the bus driver. And that's the sign on the front of this bus. This is where we're going. Prayer, cells, missions, celebrations. There's no reason to change what we're doing. We're just going to get better at it. And we're going to get prayer in the front seat. Amen. Let God do the driving. Father, we thank you for your ways. We thank you for your work. Lord, we pray that you'll give us your grace to walk in the fullness of this. Lord, that you will expand it beyond what we can think and that your mercies will be new every morning and that you will guide us in our decision-making, our processes, our work. Lord, I pray for your anointing to be on each one of your people to become a missionary, a person who's connected, a person who's engaged, a person whose life is focused on your kingdom coming and your will being done. Here and now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Love one another.